I'm Dr Kirsty Short, and in this episode, we'll chat with immunologist UQ's Professor Gabrielle Bells. With a belief that you should pursue your passion, Gabrielle first trained in vet science before changing direction and following the infectious field of the immune system's response to viruses. Gabrielle, welcome and thank you for taking the time to chat to us today about your career and your experiences as a woman in science. Just as a, as a way to start this, could you tell us a little bit about your background, where you trained, where you studied, how did you end up here in Brisbane all these years later after your training? Uh, thanks, Kirsty, for uh, inviting me to um, be involved in this. I actually started my degree here at the University of Queensland and trained in veterinary science. I also did my PhD here at the vet school and then from there went and did postdoctoral training overseas and ended up in Peter Doherty's lab in Memphis where I learned about immunology and virology. And from there I went to the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute in Melbourne and was there for quite a long period of time but then moved to Queensland amongst all the sunshine uh, to start at the Diamantina Institute at the beginning of this year. My family are actually from Brisbane and I was looking for some new challenges and I think Queensland is really moving ahead and certainly in some of the research spaces. So that was a really great incentive uh, to potentially come back home and be uh, closer to my family. Yeah, I think you've touched on a really interesting point there that one of the sort of biggest pros and biggest cons of science is that it's global. So you can end up living anywhere and everywhere in the world. And sometimes that means you're close to your family and sometimes it means you're not close to your family. What do you see as the sort of benefits and disadvantages of moving around during your career? And what would you advise for future students or future postdocs in this regard? I think it's really important for people to move around a little bit. It really gives you exposure to new people, new technologies, the capacity to be able to change readily. And I think we'll all agree that we're in a very fast-moving society right at the moment. What's really wonderful about where we are right at the moment is that there's huge investment in technologies that allow us to stay connected and people using those sorts of technologies, which go across globes and across technical expertise and the ability to use all that wherever you are in the world. So you don't necessarily have to be any longer at a particular institution. You're going to collaborate really broadly with people. And I think taking advantage of being in other countries and and other settings uh, just gives you that opportunity to have a breadth of view about how the research world actually works uh, and to touch base with a variety of different sorts of people rather than being constrained where you did your training So how do you pick where to go? That's the all-important question. Is it weather? Is it people? Is it the big names in science? What influences your decisions? I think sometimes it's all of those things. Uh, For me, it was doing something that I was really passionate about. I think if you really love what you're doing, you're going to be fully committed to it. And science is really quite a hard road to hoe if you're, you're not really passionate about it. And, you know, being obsessed about the scientific questions is a, is a major driver for where you might go. And then the second thing I think is that sort of collaboration that you have with other people with whom you work. And that really is up to the individual to forge those sorts of relationships. 
but they often end up being really enduring relationships so that when you move to another institution, you can stay connected with those people and continue to do that sort of research with them. So it sounds like who you work with is almost equally as important as where you work. What sort of characteristics would you look for in the ideal colleague or collaborator? That's a really great question and not necessarily simple to answer. For me, it's about someone who will encourage you to step out and that those people are really trustworthy, highly collegiate, but don't rest on their laurels with what they've achieved and happy to take a chance on somebody doing something a little bit different or doing it differently. And I think that really, in science, we're meant to be forging barriers, uh, forging beyond the barriers. And so having the opportunity for someone to trust you to step out is, is an opportunity that oftentimes people don't get. So I think one of the things I'm already noticing in these incredible Women in Science series is that a lot of the women we'll be interviewing not only are scientific superstars, but also superstars outside of science. So, uh, Gabrielle, I know you have an important hobby outside science. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and maybe how it's helped you maintain balance with your scientific career or even learn lessons that you can then apply back to your scientific career? I think it's really important for people to have things outside of science. The amount of time you need to actually do science is an incredible commitment, but it's also really important to have family and hobbies outside of science that give you a different perspective around that. And so I do cycling, and one of the things that's been really instrumental in sort of balancing how you approach both your science and interacting with the rest of the community is with our club, we have a lot of different types of people who come to cycling, and that includes para-athletes and people who've had diseases that impair their ability to actually ride. And so it's not just about us competing or going for a ride, it's about us helping those people and not just helping them insofar as doing things for them. It's about listening to their concerns and some of them have diseases such as MS. It's about riding with those people and putting your feet into their footsteps so that you understand where they come from. And I think giving back to the community is incredibly important. And do you think that sort of real life experiences has shaped how you do your science, that you see your scientific career is important, not just about generating knowledge, but also generating knowledge that can ultimately be used to help someone or solve a bigger picture problem? Absolutely. Often science is driven by motivation to cure a disease, or it might be just a fascination with a particular problem. But ultimately, the output of this science, whether it's recognised right up front that it's going to change the world, or it's long term for someone else to really recognise how that fits into the puzzle, it should be directed at helping humankind and solving some of these very big problems we have in the world. So when you look back on your very impressive career, is there one sort of moment that stands out where you had a feeling of achieving something incredible? And it can be something really simple. The first time as an undergraduate student, you did a PCR and you thought, wow, DNA is amazing. Was, do you, is there anything that comes to mind in that regard? Uh, I'm not sure that there is a single uh, pivotal point. I was always just very fascinated with science. And 
I think as we go through our career, there's there's many things that stand out for you and uh, really set the tone for how you approach your science. But I guess if I had to pinpoint one thing, it might be how we understand particular types of immune cells uh, really impact on the development of immune memory. Uh, so I was in Peter Doherty's lab and we had this finding that con- completely contraindicated what had been uh, shown previously. And so it was a bit of a wrestling match to try and put that into the current perspective. So we were using new technologies and approaches to understand what helper CD4 T cells were doing. And after a a long set of discussions, we realised that we'd found this really pivotal new step that armed CD8 killer T cells and allowed them to generate a fully blown memory, which is what we'd hoped that the vaccine might be doing for COVID-19 once we get that far. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, pretty pivotal moment in science, I would say. And is that something that you can then look back on and take strength for, from and on days? Because everybody has days where you feel, oh, I'm not good enough, imposter syndrome. Are you able to look back on that and, and really draw strength from it? I think those little moments are the things that, that hold you up. But also I think for supervisors, thinking about mentoring students and, and interacting students on a daily basis, one of the things that was really inspiring for me is that when I was in Peter's lab, he would come and sit at the hood while we were doing experiments and talk about the nitty gritty of our experiments. And every new finding was something he was excited about. And it's about generating that infectious excitement, uh, not just about the big things that you find, but also about the smaller things that are really integral parts of the puzzle. And when you have enough of those small things, then you can, you can really see the light for how that fits together. And I think having followed uh, Peter Doherty's Twitter account, that enthusiasm certainly has not uh, dwindled over the years. No, it hasn't. <laughs> so I'd like to just sort of uh, round off our session today by doing a little bit of a quick fire. So I'd just like to ask you three questions and you'd be able to give us a relatively short answer with your insights and your experiences in science. So firstly, can you tell me which woman or women have had the biggest influence in your life and your career? Uh, So the person who really has had a major impact on my career is actually my great aunt, Ellen Crowler. And she was a teacher, uh, but during the war, she got a scholarship, a full scholarship as a woman to go to Sydney University and do medicine, which was unheard of in those days. But the other characteristics of her is that she was a highly energised person and didn't think twice to go and do things that wouldn't have been expected of women. Uh, She was passionate about travel at a time when Australians didn't travel at all. And she was excited about all the small discoveries that people would make in life. So a true scientist there. I think so. If she wasn't teaching, uh, she would have done science. Mm. Mm. All right. Our next quick fire question. This is sort of a a big picture one. Overall, do you think that women today face less gender-related obstacles in their careers than they did 20 years ago? That's a great question. There's definitely been a lot of work done in trying to understand and address a number of the different things that influence the progression of women. And so the conversation is definitely out there, but there seems to have been much less effort in actually transforming that landscape so that it has a real impact on women progressing through their careers. And I think the gender pay gap and the promotions that occur for women 
really highlight that solutions have to be tangible. And at the moment, while the conversations are great, we have to make them real. I couldn't agree more. And finally, if you reflect back on everything in your career, what is the best piece of advice that either you have received or that you would like to give to the next generation? Great question. I think the best piece of advice is to step out. Don't be afraid to back yourself and have a go. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out. You'll learn something. But taking that chance and backing yourself to step into a domain that you think that you maybe don't have the full skill set right at the moment means that you will learn faster and you will actually learn exactly what you need to make the next step up. Fantastic. I now feel very inspired, maybe not to go cycling, but at least (laughs) to get back into the lab. So thank you so much for giving us your time today, Gabrielle. Thanks very much, Kirsty. This podcast was produced by Dr. Marlou Decker, Dr. Marina Fortes, Belinda McDougall and Matt Taylor. Technical production was by Daniel Seed. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe or like wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dr. Kirsty Short. Thanks for listening.